So today we're going to speak about one of the most beloved brands around the world and within this whole tech space. In particular, it is within gaming. And we're talking about Nintendo and all the amazing things that they have done, but also how they have stumbled along the way and what we can learn as people that are building within Web3 and adopting this new technology going forward. So before we dive into all the amazing things of Nintendo, I just want to bring attention to the last episode of the podcast that I put out. And I spoke about how I'm getting ready to build a community within this bear market, and I'm not doing it via an NFT sale. So in case you haven't listened to the last episode, I highly recommend you listen to that. The information for this will be in the show notes and the direct page for that. I'm going to build out a landing page. It has all the details and everything. But right now, if you listen to the last episode, you can hear everything, the preview of what I'm trying to build. And if you're interested in that, trying to get in, please check out the show notes. The link will also be there. But Let's get to Nintendo and the amazing things that they have done over the years. A lot of people don't really know how old Nintendo is, how they've pivoted and adapted through the years. Now, Nintendo, of course, a Japanese company, like many of them, is much older than a lot of these Western tech companies. Nintendo was founded all the way back in 1889 by a man by the name of Nintendo Karuta. Now, I'm sure if I'm saying his last name correctly, however, that's what his name is. And he was a craftsman that was all about game and he ended up starting a trading card business, a playing card business, and over the years it evolved. Obviously, fast forward, we know them from Mario, Nintendo video games, and so forth. But I think it's worth noting that Pokemon which started as a trading card game, then evolved into TV shows, video games, and so many other things, is actually a part of Nintendo. So Nintendo has a great legacy going all the way back to their trading card games, which we now see. And of course, if you're collecting, Pokemon cards is a constant reference point within this space. But let's just start at when they got into the electronic video game market and how they got into it. A lot of people don't know that in Japan, when that originally launched, it was not the Nintendo Entertainment System. In fact, it was called the Fannycom, because it was originally marketed as the family computer. Because this was during the time when, of course, PCs and everyone was coming on board and things were getting very interesting and having a family computer that was not a huge server in the room that required a whole bunch of technicals and you could do fun things with it. Well, that was how this thing launched. And through the 80s, if you grew up or a 90s kid, you just know that like Nintendo was like the staple. Like they condensed what used to be an arcade game. You'd go to the arcade, put your quarters into it, and you brought it at home, and you're able to play your Pac-Man, your Mario, and all these different games right on your TV. Now, this was not the first home video game console, but they became the household name, quickly took over what Atari and the other companies in the space have been doing. And a lot of those companies fell by the wayside. Many of them are just like myths and legends within the gaming community, but the greater and the broader world doesn't really know about that. But the Nintendo Entertainment System was absolutely a worldwide sensation, whether you knew it by the name of Fannycom or Nintendo, but NES, that was my first video game system. But then through the years, they of course, they came out with the mobile gaming, the Game Boy, which was absolutely amazing. A lot of people uh, look back on those huge bricks with the green screens that didn't even have a backlight. It wasn't until later they had color and lighting and all that stuff but you'd have to have your own light source. These batteries were absolutely draining. But then, of course, they went to the Super Nintendo, which was second, actually, technologically, 
to the Sega Genesis. The Sega Genesis actually was a competing system that was going head-to-head with it. During this time, there's a lot of video games wars, but the Sega Genesis had much better hardware capabilities, so certain games like NBA Jam, if you played them on both systems, or Mortal Kombat, you'd realize that there were more graphics and more details because the Genesis just had that much more power. However, people such as myself had so much more affection and love for Nintendo and everything that were they were building there over the years. And I was a huge and still am a huge Super NES fan. But then the real game changer, if you will, that just revolutionized the way I saw video games and a lot of people was the Nintendo 64. That came out in the 90s and that had Mario running in 360 degrees, back, forward, and so forth. This was not a linear game like the generations before it. So that really changed the world and the way we viewed things this was now a 3d gaming experience and of course then we start to get more powerful games like zelda ocarina of time and if you're not a huge gamer this was just a massive open world it would go from day to night and all sorts of things lots of options you could play this thing however you wanted yes there was a path to actually get victory and beat the game However, you could just run around and explore and solve puzzles and do whatever you want. And it was just so much fun. It was nothing like that. Groundbreaking in its day. So as you can hear in the voice, the enthusiasm I'm saying, a lot of love was built up for Nintendo. And at that time, the transition from cartridge games to CD games. And this is where things start to get really rocky and shaky for Nintendo. And most of the lessons start to really come into what's happening right now with this revolution and legacy companies fighting against what's happening with Web3 and what we are trying to accomplish. Once CDs started to become a thing, the Sony PlayStation, the other Japanese behemoth, became like the darling of the world. This system just absolutely took off. We had the Sega Saturn, which a lot of people forget, but I had the Sega Saturn. And then you had the Nintendo 64. And of the three, only Nintendo had cartridges. Cartridges, as you know, are those physical tape looking things that you'd put into the system and in the case of Nintendo 64 you'd put the cartridge in the top. Now the graphics on the N64 absolutely amazing. The games were fun and so forth however the reason why they wanted no part in CDs is because they were always afraid of piracy. Of course we knew CD burners were coming out during this time. People were pirating music and all sorts of different things. Software and Nintendo wanted no part in that. They wanted to really keep their stranglehold on the video game market so they stuck with cartridges. So for the longest time, they did not want to go towards CDs. Get to that in a second. So as you can see, a legacy player that built up all this love, all this money, all this affection, huge market share, was very reluctant towards change. Why? Because that change ate into their profit margin, their old way of doing things, and so forth. So rather than going to where the industry was going, they made things much more difficult for themselves, more expensive for themselves, by creating and using these cartridges, but also limiting their own capabilities because these CDs could hold so much more information than a cartridge could. Not to mention, once you got into the world of, say, Final Fantasy, which was this massive RPG game that came on multiple discs, it didn't cost more money for them to ship three or four CDs around as opposed to having a game on three or four cartridges, which never happened. That just didn't happen. Everything had to fit on one cartridge. So there was really no limit to where the CDs could go because it didn't cost that much more to add an extra CD, which cost pennies or less than pennies to put the information, burn them off, and you'd have them in the same case, just two sides or three sides even. Some of these games went up to multiple massive amounts of discs. So that was just where the industry was going. Massive games on these discs. But Nintendo fought 
about that tooth and nail. And it really wasn't until they came out with their GameCube system, which was this weird purple looking thing with a mini disc. Again, why did they go to a mini disc? Because a mini disc is a lot harder to burn. Although again, restricting themselves, how much memory, how much things could hold onto that CD. They wanted to go with this little awkward disc and a weird controller. And it was really looked on as like, this was for little kids. So gamers for the most part, abandoned Nintendo and uh, they lost their market share. They fell behind. The PlayStation 2 came out. Microsoft came into video gaming and it was really a two horse race at that point. It was Microsoft versus Sony. And then somewhere in the back, the people that were just loyal to the brand and so forth were just kind of lagging around and some kids that their parents didn't want them to play these gory, violent games that were on the better systems, if you will, hardware wise and everything. However, People will argue and say that the Nintendo system actually had way better graphics than those two, but um, not here to go into all that detail. It's not a gaming thing, but again, look at that. They restricted themselves strictly because they were looking at trying to preserve their profits and fighting against technology and how things were evolving, and they wanted to maintain, and by doing so, they ended up losing. And it really wasn't until the Nintendo Wii when they went back to their roots and they took over again. Now... As we said multiple times, they did not have the powerful system. They did not have the best tech, but they did something that was absolutely groundbreaking for them. They made it simple. It was fun. It was affordable. And they had now generations of people that had affection to Mario and their characters because what they were actually doing is they built these games in-house. They weren't relying on third-party publishers like Microsoft and Sony who would later go on to buy up a lot of these publishers. However, they had curated these characters through multiple games, through multiple generations. So people such as myself that were born in the 80s and grew up in the 90s playing Mario, like we just have something in our heart for these characters because they're a part of our childhood. You know, we are all romanticizing about the past and so forth. So when we look at these characters, like it brings us back to the good old days, if you will, right? So that is one of the things that helped them to really recapture the market. And people were laughing at it because at this time now, people are saying, well, you know what? The graphics aren't even that good. This system has a silly name, the Wii, and all of these different things. However, the one thing that they absolutely nailed is these games were fun. If you remember people doing like these bowling challenges and they were playing tennis with these controllers as rackets and so forth. So now they're actually taking on some uh, new innovative things, simplifying the gameplay, getting grandma and grandpa involved. It wasn't all about the hardcore, down and dirty, looking at raw horsepower type of gamers. This was like a family event. And I remember playing this with little kids and it was really a fun system. And it was the cheapest one on the market. So this is where now they started to get some strategies that we can actually look at. So number one, we do not want to be the legacy old guard that's protecting the old way of doing things because progress is happening. So this technology is disrupting everything that we do. It's going to disrupt lawyers with smart contracts. It's going to disrupt the way we uh, go to events with ticketing solutions and so much more. Uh, you know, you've been listening to this, you know about all these different things. We cover this all the time. So I don't have to give you the broad summary of everything trying to sell you on this because you already see the vision. You smell the pie, if you will, that's baking. So we know that the old legacy guards are trying to pull Nintendo 
whether it be with legislation or it's just management fighting the younger employees or not even the younger employees, but the employees that are exploring this stuff. No, they don't want to invest the resources, the time and energy into it. Even what we see as crazy as it was what Mark was doing with Meta over there trying to go down the Web3 path and shareholders and the media and everything was fighting against him. Granted, most businesses aren't dumping billions into something, but you know, whatever it might be, that investment, they're fighting it. We don't want to be that group, right? But then also, the positive thing is curating these characters, these IPs in-house, right? We're not relying on third-party licensing everything out and relying that they do the product or the character uh, correct. No, they did that, curated it, built it in-house, and also, this was also more profitable for them. So even if they sell fewer in volume, because they're doing this in-house, it is going to be more profitable in splitting revenues with 10, 15, 20 different parties. So very interesting there. So they have the brands, they have that connection, they knew exactly who they're going after. So when they came back to prominence and they launched the Wii, here's where things really kicked into high gear. It was fun, it was affordable, and it had broad mass appeal. Unlike the hardcore gamers that the Xbox and the PlayStation were going after, they went for the bigger total addressable market. So that is something I speak about all the time, that when we're looking at something, trying to figure out what the total addressable market is, is this only going to impact the, let's say, 50,000 people that are hardcore DGENs right now that are into Web3? Or is this something that can totally impact every single person around the world? We're talking a 50,000 people at best of the hardcore DGENs. Or are we talking about the other 7 billion people that are in the world that could be impacted by something? So total addressable market is very important to which business, which niche that you're going into, which market that you're going to serve and so forth. But again, there's different paths. There's different ways to look about it, but it is a lot easier to get 0.0000001% of a massive market than it is to get 50% or 80% of a tiny market because if another player comes in, there's this competition to eat down the pie and so forth. But let's just say, for example, advertising. If you are in advertising or just broad marketing, that is such a huge thing because every company needs advertising and marketing. But now if you go extremely niche, for example, I have content creation that goes specifically to people in Web3. So if you're not familiar with that, I have this Made for 3, which is a service that I do if you are a Web3 founder and so forth, that it speaks 100% to someone who is building a business in Web3. However, that is so niche that that will never, ever, ever, ever have as large of a return or a huge market and be anywhere near as profitable as someone who is just doing general marketing. However, like I said, everything that I do is very specialized for a specific person, specific businesses that I'm going to be going after. And yes, the total addressable market of whatever it is that I'm trying to build in the long run, I want it to be very large. But right now where I'm at, how I'm speaking, what I'm building, I know who I'm speaking to and I could build that in a specific lane and branch out. Now, it's much easier, I won't lie, it is much, much easier to go after the big ones too, but there's also more competition in that area. Could require deeper pockets, but knowing exactly who you're speaking to does make your marketing a lot clearer, a lot more concise, and so forth. So Nintendo's approach though was, again, anyone that wants to have fun with gaming, not the niche hardcore gamer, 
So they went for the bigger market. So that is where all of this is going. So two different ways of going at it, but just knowing exactly what your mission is, how you're trying to target this thing. And that's what Nintendo did. And I remember everyone was laughing at them saying that they messed up again with another failed system launch only to find out that it was the number one selling system of that generation. That was PlayStation 3, the Xbox 360, I believe, and it was the Nintendo Wii. Then, of course, they dropped the ball. The story doesn't end there with the Nintendo U, like the Wii U, which is like a screen. It was really weird. I don't even know exactly what was going on there, but it just was not the hit that they thought it was going to be. It wasn't until they came out with their current generation, the Nintendo Switch, which has a screen. You could take this thing on the road. You didn't have to be glued at home to your TV and you could bring this with you. And it was very interesting because this has sold more than the PlayStation 5 and the current generation of the Xbox and everything. This is really the top selling system in this roundabout of going things. So Nintendo up and down, up and down. But the interesting thing with this is also that fusing this with mobile is very interesting because they have had a stranglehold on mobile gaming for the longest time. Sony tried to take them on. Sega Genesis had their system where you could put the Sega Genesis, the Nomad. They had various uh, phone-fused systems by Nokia. Uh, Go down, there's Neo Geo. There were so many companies that tried to take on Nintendo Game Boy in their many generations, and they just kept failing. However, when it came to the mobile phone, that was their Achilles heel. So again, even in that cycle, I'm not going to go through all of that. Basically, the same thing happened again. They knew that they had a cash cow, which was the Game Boy, which basically kept their whole company alive during the times of failing with the bigger systems. But they were reluctant to go into mobile. And it really wasn't until Pokemon Go a few years ago when they dove into that. And funny thing is they really didn't make that much money for it. It spiked their stock prices, got everyone excited and so forth that Nintendo is finally embracing mobile. However, that wasn't really directly to the bottom line of their sales and so forth. But again, I just want to put that in there and say big companies fighting progress to preserve their legacy is uh, not so good. But We have the opportunity to be those new players on the block, just like when Xbox came onto the scene or even when Nintendo, when it's heyday, first came onto the scene with the NES, right? They were the new kids on the block. So these companies do come in. We we often think of Sony as the PlayStation company, but they have existed also for a very long time before they came into the gaming market. So as we're adopting this technology, looking at all these different things, bridging it all together now, having things in-house with IP, characters, building your brand, know who you're speaking to, you're building with, is it a total addressable market just going broad appeal, mass market taking a percentage of that, or are you going extremely niche? All of these things have been seen with what's going on in Nintendo. And as they learn through the years, I think we can take away some valuable lessons from it. And if this is interesting to you, you are exactly the type of person that I would love to get in contact with, get into this community that I'll be building as I am playing this out. So anyone that's listening to this that's interested, look at the information. It is in the show notes. Absolutely early as to the progress of this thing. And over the next few days, I'm going to roll out more of the details. But if you're interested in that, please feel free to let me know check out that link. But as usual, I just want to thank you for taking time to listen to this as we're learning and building Web3 together. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.